Hi, don't you love Christmas? So are you good enough? Have you been good enough? Because why? Because Christmas will be here soon. So thank you so much, uh, Brandon, Sarah, and the music team. Now, the other day, uh, when I was walking through Daiso with my son, we, were, we passed by some giant socks, Christmas stockings, the other day. And I was reminded that as a child, I actually believe uh, in Santa Claus. I believe that he was real. No thanks to Hollywood and no thanks to nursery rhymes. I had thought that Santa had a naughty and he had a nice list up in the North Pole. Now, and then good children who were always polite, those who always say thank you, those who always say please, giving hugs and kisses, you know, those who are loving, those who are kind, always helping others, you know, they are the nice ones and they, they will get the best toys. And the naughty ones, those who are rude, those who are unloving, those who are unkind, they would get a piece of black and dirty coal. Well, guess what? No matter how good I was, I never received any gifts from Santa. Not even a piece of coal. Now, maybe that's because the equator, that, that's where we live, is beyond the range of Santa's reindeers. Maybe, yeah, that's right. No, it's actually because my parents didn't celebrate Christmas. Now, because they didn't know who Santa was, and neither did they know what the real meaning of Christmas is. But more importantly, this whole thing about the nursery rhyme that you heard, right, is about this idea, this concept of the world, the belief that the good are rewarded and the bad are punished. You know, the Chinese, the Chinese we have this saying, san you san bao, right? And er, you er bao. And are some others, with, uh, I think some uh, Americans, Westerners, they just lump it together and just call it karma. In fact, this is also a biblical teaching, right? I read from Proverbs. The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Proverbs 10, verse 16. And be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Proverbs 11, verse 21. Now, the Bible teaches that God rewards the righteous who keeps his commandments, but punishes the wicked throughout its entirety. You can see, right, vastly different religious and cultural backgrounds, but they all express the same universal belief that the good are rewarded and the bad are punished. Why? Because we would like to believe that we live in a just and ordered world. And also because, as we believe from Genesis, that that's how God made the world. Our legal systems, the values that we hold, you know, the, what we teach our children, they all depend on this belief. 
Now imagine, imagine a world where the good are not rewarded and the bad are not punished. You know what will happen? The law itself fails. Morality fails. It no longer makes sense to be good, right? And because and being bad, being wicked has no consequences. The very foundation of society, of civilization, crumbles, right? The world will look like this chaos. If the good are not rewarded and the bad not punished, the world becomes a very, very scary place. In a just and ordered world, the good should be rightly rewarded and the bad should be rightly punished. And then so, if that's true, right, then the question is, in my heart, I have to ask myself, then am I good enough? Are you good enough? And that's probably what's in the minds of the people um, in today's passage. Now, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bibles with you. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. And allow me to pray before we start. Lord Father, grant us understanding and wisdom into your word. Enlighten us and teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Now one day, while Jesus was jalan-jalan in the streets of Judea, a man actually ran up and knelt before him. Now when was the last time you had somebody kneeling before you? And when was the last time you knelt before somebody else? Guys, most probably, you know, when you propose only, right? Never. Now, definitely it wasn't last night, right? We don't normally go on our knees before other people. Why? Because kneeling is shameful. And when we kneel, we'll probably find, you know, a quiet spot, somewhere where nobody else can see us. But this guy, this man, we have a man coming up to Jesus. You know, he runs up to him and he kneels before Jesus, not in a quiet corner, out in the public, in the streets. This guy, this man, he must have been truly desperate. And he must have also been very sincere in seeking Jesus for answers. Then he asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wow, what a good question. You know, he has asked a deeply spiritual question. Now, how often, in contrast, us, we, do we think of spiritual things? You know, day to day, we are probably more worried 
about what we are going to have lunch later, right? And our, maybe our year-end bonus, is it going, is it going to be cancelled because um, the, our bosses haven't been seeing us in the offices, right? We're worried about our children, how well did they do? And lately, also, whether we'll catch Omicron. We worry about transient, temporary things that will pass. But this guy, this man, though he's desperately seeking Jesus for the permanent, for the everlasting things, for eternal life, exactly what we should be seeking too. Now, wow, isn't he an A student? Any teacher's dream, right? A model student. And how does Jesus reply? In verse 18, Jesus, Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? As you say, I'm a human teacher. Good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Ouch! You know, that Jesus almost sounds harsh. You know? But Jesus has just stated a key theological truth that will help us to unpack today's passage. No one is good except God alone. Then Jesus continues. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Here Jesus basically sums up, you know, commandments 5 to 10 of the 10 commandments, which all Jews know by heart. And you and I, you know, what do we, which book do we just finish? Exodus, right? Exodus 20, right? We should know this too. Commandments 5 to 10 teaches us how to love others, while 1 to 4 teaches us how to love and worship God. So Jesus here seems to be saying, in order to inherit eternal life, one must love others perfectly. Can you love others perfectly? I admit I can't. Can you? You know, I, I sin against others daily, even against the very people that I love, the people dearest to me. I sin against them. Now, while pre preparing this sermon, I actually lost patience with my own son, who I love a few times. So I can't love others perfectly. But how, how does this man respond? Verse 20, he says to Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. He hasn't just kept one or two commandments and then broken the others. He has kept all of them. And he has not just kept them for you know, one day, a week, or a month. 
He has kept all of them since he was a boy. Was he too conceited? Or has he overestimated himself? But here, I think we should probably should give him full credit, given his, the description of um, the way he approached Jesus and his track record. And more importantly, how Jesus responds to him. So we see here, Jesus looks straight into the man's eyes. You had anybody look straight into your eyes? And loves him. Jesus doesn't say to the man, sure not, sure not, you kept, it, kept all this since you're, since you're a boy. Jesus delights in the man's obedience, you know, just like you are, perhaps, when you see your son receiving the top prize for best conduct in school. On, right on the stage. But as much as this is a proud moment, it is also a teaching moment for the man. Because Jesus loves him, he says to the man, you have done well so far, son. You still lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come. Follow me. This is how you inherit eternal life. That man has always kept within the boundaries of the law. Now Jesus challenges him to go beyond, to sell and give away all his things, then follow Jesus. And how does the man respond? He doesn't even speak. He doesn't even say, thank you, Jesus. I'll think about it. His face darkened. His heart sank. You know, if there was any trace of pride, hope, or joy on his face, it's only, now it's replaced with only gloom, hopelessness, and sorrow. And in the entire New Testament, there are many sorrowful people who came seeking Jesus. And all of them went away joyful. But here, this is the only man who goes away sorrowful after meeting Jesus. Why? Because he has many things in this world things which he can't let go. Now, it will be careless of us to too quickly dismiss this man as lacking faith. Now, if you are him, and Jesus tells you to sell and give away all your things, right? your car, your house, your stocks, your bitcoin, Right? Your game collection. What will you do? I think probably not so much different from the man. 
Then Jesus turns and says to his disciples in verse 23, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Now we can imagine Peter and John, their jaws dropping. They can't believe what they are hearing, like maybe some of us here today. Because Christians, in general, are wealthy, and we do have a lot of things. But Jesus says to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. You can't imagine how hard it is. It's easier for a big animal, like a camel, to squeeze through the tiny eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And you know what? Some days I can't even tread a needle properly, let alone squeezing a camel through the eye of a needle. Just, just, just wait a minute. So is, is Jesus, does he have something against rich people? Is he saying that rich people can't go to heaven? Is he saying that? Does Jesus really say it's impossible for the rich to enter heaven? I see some worried faces. I'm probably a bit worried too. No. The word usually translated as rich or wealthy simply means having lots and lots of material earthly things. It doesn't only mean those who own lots of property, money, or have a high status of success in, in society. It really means those who have anything that is precious to you. That means your precious stamp, your coin, your record, your comic book collection, the cook, the toy, the plant, your Pokemon collection that you have spent years collecting. That means even your own children, your family, anything that is precious to you. Are you worried now? It's no wonder then that we see here that the disciples are exceedingly astonished. You know, they almost fall on their bums and they ask Jesus, then who can be saved? Now, if the spiritual, sincere, morally upright and rich man is not good enough, who else is good enough? Who else is good enough? You see, the disciples, like many of us, associate having a good life as a sign of God's blessing or endorsement and having a bad life as a sign of God's curse. The man was clearly materially blessed. The man was also morally upright, obedient to the law. And he was also spiritually aware, seeking Jesus with a sincere heart. The man 
was a glowing example of a good person. Now, if the good are rewarded, then surely he's the prime candidate to enter the kingdom of God to inherit eternal life, right? But it seems even he was not good enough for God's kingdom. Now, do you know this man? Ron Buffet, the famous investor. At one point, he was also the, the richest person alive. Do you know that he's also the biggest giver ever in history? He's given away 44 billion US dollars to charity or good works. Billions, uh, not millions, nine zeros. And he plans to give away 99% of his wealth and he encourages others, other billionaires like him, to do the same. And he, spent, he never spends more than $3.17 for his breakfast. Interesting guy, right? He still lives in the same house that he bought for $31,000, about $31,000 in 1958. The same house. He drives the same old car for years, never buying them new, never buying new cars, but he only buys damaged cars. He's also known as a great friend. Now, Bill Gates says of Warren, I've learned many things from Warren over the last 25 years, but maybe the most important thing is what friendship is all about. It's about being kind, the kind of friend you wish you had yourself. Everyone should be lucky to have a friend who is as thoughtful and as kind as Warren. He goes out of the way to make people feel good about themselves and share his life, his joy about life. He's also raised good and humble kids, all actively serving society. One is dedicated to education and poverty. Another fights global hunger. He's a UN goodwill ambassador and auxiliary police officer, among other things. And the youngest one, Peter Buffet, promotes teen girls' rights. He strives to end violence against women, support native communities, and he's also a critically acclaimed musician with 16 records under his belt. Warren also always ate dinner with his family and he connected with his kids. He's an involved father. And Warren took also his marriage vows Seriously, he remained married and supported his wife even when she left him to pursue her dreams much later in their marriage. And he stayed married for 52 years until her death. To us, Warren sounds like an outstanding person, right? He's almost an ideal example of what we'll consider a good person. Surely Warren is good enough to enter heaven, right? Surely he's good enough. 
But remember, Jesus said earlier, no one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. Many people think that as long as your good deeds outweigh your bad, and as long as you try and don't do anything too bad, like you know, murdering somebody, you'll go to heaven. The problem is most people have a misguided belief in their own goodness. A misguide, also a misguided belief in their own effort. Just walk down the street later, you all can do a survey. Or you can conduct a survey online using Google Form. And you'll find that most people think they'll get to heaven just the way they are. Even if they have told lies before or taken something that's not theirs, even if they've been rude or shouted at their parents, which, by the way, according to the Ten Commandments, is punishable by death. You know, we, people conveniently forget that heaven is actually God's kingdom means God's domain. Entry and entry into God's kingdom is by God's standards, not our standards. Then there are some of us who fall on the opposite extreme of the spectrum. We are the ones who always struggle with self-doubt and feel that we will never be good enough. We grew up being told that we are good for nothing. And now even when no one says it to, to us anymore, we keep hearing it in our minds. And those thoughts sometimes paralyzes and defeats us. The truth is that God requires perfection. And none of us will ever be good enough as we are. So then, is it really for is it really hopeless for us then? For humanity? Hopeless? Should we also be like the rich man? Be disheartened and go away sorrowful? Now thankfully we see in verse 27 that Jesus turns to his disciples. He again looks at them and now he also looks at you and me. In, right in the eye. And he says, for humans, it is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. But the question is, but how, Lord? How? It's here that we have to backtrack to verses 13 to 16 of the same chapter, just before Jesus meets the rich man. There we see parents carrying their very young children to be blessed by Jesus. These children were probably babies or toddlers yet to be weaned and still dependent on their mother's milk 
And the disciples, being the self-important bouncers that they were, actually stopped and rebuked the parents. The disciples probably shoo them away saying, Jesus has no time to see you. Wow, these disciples are. How can they be so like that to cute babies? Terrible, right? But more importantly, let's listen closely to what Jesus says of these little children. Jesus says, Let the children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. Wait a minute, Jesus. Are we hearing right? God's kingdom belongs to little children? What good have they done? Have they given to the poor? Have they helped the weak? Have they fed the hungry? All they can do is cry when they are hungry, unwell, or soil themselves. I still remember change, changing my son's diapers. You know the sun, uh, the, the sight and the, the smell, it just burns into your brain. <laughs> Little children, they, they're helpless. They can't do anything on their own. They are totally helpless and they are dependent on you. Why do they get to enter God's kingdom while the good and moral rich man can't? Why? Let's look again. Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now do, you, do we see, now do we understand God's kingdom is to be received and accepted humbly. The good moral rich man, he had sought to obtain eternal life, much like how he obtained his riches, like how he earned his badges for keeping the commandments since he was a young boy. He had sought to add eternal life to his collection of earthly goodness. But you see, eternity only exists in God's kingdom. An entry into God's kingdom is not something that can be obtained or earned through self-effort. It's not a checklist for us to check off. There's no batch work for entry. Instead, like what Jesus told the man, let go, depend on me like a helpless baby. Follow me. We also need to let go and depend helplessly on Jesus to receive the kingdom of God. Until we are ready to receive it by faith as something completely undeserved, that we are completely unworthy, we will not be, enter, we will not be able to enter God's kingdom. 
For none of us can ever be good enough to enter God's kingdom by our own effort. But, does, but doesn't that contradict the Bible? Doesn't that contradict biblical justice that, that the good are rewarded and the bad are punished? And that God created a just world? That God himself is just, doesn't he contradict God's character? Evil deeds, evil needs to be punished. The debt of sin needs to be paid. The bad news is that we'll, be never, we'll never be good enough because no one is good except God alone. And that, my friends, comes the scandal. The scandal of the Christmas story and the good news for us. Christmas is not about how good we are. Christmas is about how good Christ is. Because Christ Jesus, God's own Son, who is God himself and flesh in humanity, the only one good enough, he paid the perfect sacrifice for us. In the fullness of the Heavenly Father's loyal love, Jesus, he came obediently. He's the beloved son with whom the father is fully pleased. And he left behind his own glory as God in heaven. And as a helpless baby, he came willingly and obediently to earth. He always loves God and his neighbor as himself. He is truly good. The only one ever good enough. And he is deserving of all glory. But at the end of his earthly life, he is loyal. Yet he was betrayed. He is innocent, yet he was condemned. He was truly good, the best ever, yet he was punished. He didn't get his rightful reward. He was stripped naked, shamed, and flock to the bone. He didn't get a ring of honor. He had a crown of thorns. He was nailed to the cross of shame. Yet, he did not curse them. But he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus, God's own son, he paid it all. Jesus, the only one ever good enough, was punished so that we will be received into God's kingdom. So, what can we do? Let go. Enough of 
our self-striving. Enough of our self-righteousness. Enough of our self-loathing. Depend on Jesus. Just like a helpless baby. And simply receive God's gift. In Jesus, humbly and thankfully. And on that day when Christ returns, we'll see him in, in all his glory. And we too, when we believe, we will also share in his reward. Come, let's pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for creating the just and ordered world. Despite humanity failing, thank you for your ever-loyal love with us. Forgive us that we are tried so hard to earn our way into your kingdom. We have lost our way. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. He is perfect, the only one ever good enough. And he died for sinners like us. Help us to let go. Help us to depend fully. Help us all to humbly receive your gift in Christ Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.